Well, I should probably introduce myself, because you're like, who the heck is this guy? Uh, my name is Jamie Miller. Uh, my wife Gretchen is here for this service. I don't think she'll stick around for two. Um, she hears me all the time. And I have three daughters here, Tori, Isabel, and Macy. I have a sister from Georgia that's in town, and her, her uh, daughter, my niece, I was going to say her niece, that's my niece, her daughter. We're not one of those creepy families. And... Uh, uh, I got some other friends that are around, so we're just we're grateful to be here. Uh, we come to you from Bloomington, Minnesota, which is in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Bloomington is where the Mall of America is. If you come visit, we'll drop you off, and we'll say we'll pick you up at this door in however many hours you want to be there. So uh, we lived there before that. We lived in Scranton, Pennsylvania, for all you Office fans, and uh, we spent 11 years there, four in college, then seven married. And before that, I grew up in Southwest Columbus, Ohio. So not Grove City. I don't claim Grove City. I'm from Franklin Heights High School. Uh, although every time we played you guys in football, you beat us. If you're Grove City, my junior year by, by a missed extra point. As you can tell, I've gotten over it and have moved on with life to more important things. But we are grateful to be here with you. Uh, we're a part of a nonprofit, faith-based nonprofit called Consume Ministries. And we just rally ourselves around our whole vision and mission for Consumed is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life, Jesus says, and life to the full. So we just want to proclaim that Christ came to give an abundance of life, and we want to help people walk that out. Kind of the skin of that looks like we have a uh, college ministry at Normandale Community College. It's uh, the largest community college in the state, fourth largest school in the state. And uh, it's, it's basically Harvard, Yale, Normandale. That's all you need to know. And then we also uh, are part of a network of house churches. So this is a little different for me. I'm usually in my own living room, sitting down with a, my own mug of coffee. Uh, and there's not uh, time clocks and stuff. So you should be fortunate. When you sit in my living room, I can talk for hours. You know, we just keep going. Uh, and then... Uh, something that's been new for us is that we get involved uh, with the Shakopee Women's Correctional Facility, Prison Fellowship Academy. So we were teaching a class with the program right up to COVID. COVID hit. We weren't allowed to go back in the prison. We still haven't. We're hopeful that we can get back in in July, which is only God can do, right? Like we're hoping we get back into prison in July because we want to be with our sisters in Christ there. But during the uh, whole COVID experience. God has opened doors for us to work with the women when they are released from prison. And so that's just been a wonderful thing. And when, when I was just thinking of some of their faces as we were singing some of these songs, you ever want to believe if the gospel is real, if transformation is real, if the power of Christ is real, and you get an opportunity to step inside of a facility and be with your brothers or sisters in Christ, I challenge you just say, yes, go do it. You will be blessed beyond measure. It has completely transformed my life. My sisters, like they have completely transformed my faith. I knew a lot about Jesus. I feel like I know Jesus because of them. So uh, let's go jump in today, all right? If uh, you need a reminder, you've been in John 16, correct? Please say yes. So I, I, I was told I was supposed to like sum up the whole thing, you know? And if you're coming in here like, what, John, who's John? What, chapter 16? We're going to have some work to do. But um, this morning, what I would like to do is, because I, I, I think that 
that it's been covered. I've seen some of the sermon notes on the Google Doc. I've seen what's been highlighted, what's been pointed out. And so what God's laid on my heart today is just to hit a few verses. There'll probably be some review that happens. That's okay. My friend Dan says, we as human beings, we're leaky buckets, right? Like we, we hear things and it just drips right out of the bucket. So you might hear some things that you thought you've never heard, but you probably heard them two weeks ago. And that's okay. So we're just going to hit on a few things. And then at the end, I just want to summarize with something that God's laid on my heart just to share with you. Okay. In John chapter 16 and, and in John chapter 15, many times I reread it this morning. Jesus says a statement. Sometimes we wonder, like, what does Jesus mean? What does this mean? What does the Bible mean? Do I need to know Greek? Do I need to know Hebrew? Do I need to know all these things? And sometimes Jesus just tells us exactly what he's all about, right? One of the reasons why I love John chapter 10, verse 10, is that Jesus says, I have come. That's, that's pretty clear and cut to the point, right? That, that they may have life and have it to the full. Or in Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. These purpose statements. There's another time Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come, and you'll love this one, eating and drinking. How awesome is that? Like Jesus just said, I came to hang out, to sit around a table, to talk about my Father, to partake in good food and drink, and to experience life with humanity. And in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, there's a a million times it feels like Jesus says this phrase or something like it. I have said these things or I have spoken these things. Jesus knows the time is near for him to depart this earth. And so he's really wanting to zero in on his disciples and say, I have we have experienced a lot together these last three years. But there's a few precious truths I just want you, just imagine Jesus kind of like grabbing a hold of your face, right? You ever had that moment with your parent? Like, nope, nope, come here, look at me, in the eyeballs. Put the phone down, listen, I gotta tell you something and I want you to hear this. This is kind of the, I think the, the intent of Jesus, I have said these things. We're gonna look at four of them. And I think we're gonna look at what God's laid on my heart and it's pretty clear from scripture, I think, three desired outcomes that Jesus has. Three desired outcomes that Jesus has. We're going to combine the second and third. I have said these things to get one, if you're worried about my math. And then we're going to uh, kind of close there. So the first one, it's John 15, 11. So we're going to dip into John 15, if that's okay. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the first desired outcome Jesus has for us, pretty cool. He just wants us to have joy. Joy. Sometimes this this word in the original language, it's translated joy. Sometimes it's translated gladness. That's pretty straightforward. So I just, I went to Google, you know, just did what we all do. Definition of joy. This popped up. A feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Just think of a time that you were happy. Can you think of that moment? Maybe it's been a while. I don't know. Maybe it was the day when you woke up and you realized it wasn't raining. Just a, a feeling of joy or pleasure. I think I saw, maybe, on the sermon notes, somebody had an illustration when they talked about joy, about like a kid on Christmas morning. We have a picture of my oldest daughter when she was two or three. And my mother-in-law in in Iowa, my wife's from Des Moines, Iowa, she has this picture 
in her house, and she's in her, like, Christmas jammies, you know, looking all cute like they do when they're two or three. Not that she's not cute now, but she went two or three, and she's literally going like this. And that was just like, there wasn't any presents or anything. Like, she just woke up like that. Like, that excited for Christmas morning. For me, a feeling of pleasure, joy, you know, I grew up in Columbus, like I said, so I have been, you know, brainwashed to be a Buckeye fan, as we all are, and I'm very glad for that brainwashing. But in 2002, I had my second daughter was just a couple weeks old, and it was in between Christmas and New Year's, and Ohio State was playing the University of Miami. Some of you are like, oh yeah, preach it, Jamie. And they were highly like the underdogs, Ohio State was. But in the second overtime, Ohio State's up, right? University of Miami has to score a touchdown to force the third overtime. C. Grant busts through the line. The quarterback scrambles back, and as he's falling, he just kind of throws a prayer, and it hits the ground. And Ohio State, for the first time in my lifetime, won the national championship. And man, I was jacked up excited. Yes. I remember we had a futon in our living room that served as a guest room because we were really poor. I was in school still. And I remember putting the futon down and leaving Sports Center on all night. You, 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 some of you guys know this, where Sports Center just loops, you know, just so I could hear the highlights of the highest State game. See, I can say these things here. If I say these back in Minnesota, they think I'm crazy. They don't understand the highest State passion and tradition, right? But what happened? There was a new season, and they didn't win the national championship. And I had to wait till 2014 to get the second one in my lifetime, and I'm still waiting for the... If we base things, we know this, right? If we base things on that kind of stuff, this joy is fleeting. And I know it's been, it's been covered, but there's a, there's a key pronoun in this verse. It's that I've said these things so that my, Jesus speaking, joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. We know that the only true, lifelong, lasting, eternal joy is the joy that Jesus gives. So if we don't have the joy that Jesus gives, we're not going to have a forever kind of joy. And so Jesus is saying, I've said these things to you because I want my joy, my happiness to be inside of you so that your joy may be full. So that first Desired outcome is simply joy. The second one, we're going to look at two of these, I have said these things statements, and they're in John chapter 16. John chapter 16 says, I have said, these, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I can finish the verse. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. I have said these things to you so that you won't fall away. When we, when we read falling away, it, it literally can be translated to put a stumbling block in the way in which one may trip or fall. Not that anybody here has ever done that, right? 
I, I tell my, my wife and my daughters all the time, I swear they leave stuff around just because they want to kill me. They do. I'm telling you. They leave their shoes in different places. If I ever trip and almost fall, it is always because there's a random belonging of one of my family members around the house lurking in the dark to take me out, right? To trip and fall. It's the same word that's used uh, uh, in Matthew when Jesus says, hey, if your eye causes you to stumble or to sin, then cut it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's the same word that's used in Romans 14 when we're talking about the weaker brother and the stronger brother. And it tells uh, Paul, the writer says, those of you who are stronger brothers, don't do anything that would cause the weaker brother to stumble or fall. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to trip and fall. And so the question then is like trip and fall over what in this context? And as I was kind of thinking about this and praying through this, Jesus says some interesting things, right? He says, hey, those that are, are persecuting you, those that are going to put me to death, those that are going to, those are going to try to put you to death, they think they're doing something for God because they don't know me and they don't know the Father. And then he says again, so I'm telling you these things so that you'll remember them when their hour comes. So what, the, what is the deal with that, right? I think what Jesus is trying to prepare them based on a whole context of teaching that he's given them over three years and based on what he models for us through the trials through the flogging, through his death, is he saying, hey, I want you to remember they're not the enemy and you need to love them. You need to love all people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's some serious kind of love, right? And Jesus modeled for us because as he hung on the cross, he looks at those soldiers that are gambling for his clothes and he says to his father, my, my father, father, forgive them for they what? Know not what they do. Sometimes I think we, we get confused and we and we think that maybe those that are actually meaning harm for us, that it's, it's okay to harbor ill feelings and bitterness and anger inside our soul. But I will tell you that bitterness and anger and resentment will trip you up so subtly that you will be so far down a ditch, covered in dirt, and don't even know how we got there, Right? If there's one thing that I've learned from my sisters in the, in the Shakopee Women's Correctional Facility, it's how to forgive. Because many of them did things, yes, that are the reason why they're in there, but it's not so black and white, right? 
They grew up in places where people did immense harm to them. Did things that you and I can't even imagine probably growing up in some of the homes we were blessed to grow up in. But they know because they've been taught and instructed by Jesus that if they are going to live a full and abundant life, they need to hear the words of Jesus and they need to let go of bitterness and anger and learn to forgive people. I speak this not as if it's easy. I am one that can harbor a lot of bitterness and anger. I harbor bitterness towards people because they go too slow on the highway, right? My daughter said, amen. And we got to drive home tomorrow. Now they got ammunition. But we have to hear Jesus in this. Jesus desires for us. He's telling us these things. He doesn't want us to stumble and fall over this stuff. He wants us to love all people. So joy, love for all people. One more. Okay, this is the last one. It's in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says this, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. So it's pretty simple, right? Jesus wants us to have peace. He wants us to have peace. It's the Greek word, arene. It's used often in the New Testament, this word peace. And I believe, somebody give me a thumbs up or something, you just covered this last week, right? Talking about peace. There's a few different meanings it can mean in the original language. It can mean a state of national tranquility. That's kind of what everyone says. You know, we want world peace, that kind of peace. Peace between individuals, harmony and accord. That's like we're going to get rid of the stuff between us and there's going to be reconciliation. And so we can have that kind of peace amongst us in our homes and our workplaces and in our communities and our friendships. And then it can just mean this, this blessed state of men and women. And I think Jesus means all of this. Like I've said these things to you so that in this world you can, you can enjoy all of this arena peace. And then he just tells us, right? He tells us that in this world you're going to have tribulations. That's what you're going to have. The word tribulation means a pressing, a pressing together, right? I think the whole sermon series is like the dark season of the soul. Did I get that right? Here's my suspicion. We don't have to tell people that, that life can be hard sometimes, right? I don't think anyone realizes, wait, what? Life is hard? A, a two-year-old that doesn't get what they want realizes life is really hard, I don't always get what I want, right? And we have times where we realize and we're like, man, I feel like I'm getting the life squeezed out of me. This tribulation, this pressing, this squeezing, it can be anything. I know in this context, Jesus is talking about persecution. It can be a loss of a job. It can be a health diagnosis. It can be a broken relationship. It can be whatever it is. But we all feel at times that we're being squeezed. We're being, err. But Jesus says, hey, you're going to have this tribulation, but I want you to take heart because I want to tell you something. You're going to have this tribulation in this world, but guess what? I have overcome the world. The word world can be used in different contexts. It can mean like it can mean the world, the universe, the earth, like 
us, the people, and everything we see. It also can mean this apt and harmonious arrangement of constitutional order. That's like when it, when it says of our enemy that he's the prince of this world. There's this system, there's this thing going on that's opposed to God, that's, that's set on causing destruction and mayhem in our lives. So there's that world. So when we read it, it, sometimes it can sound like the Bible is saying two different things. Like the Gospel of John chapter 3, one of the most famous verses that we may know, is Jesus says, for, or John says, quoting Jesus, for God so loved the world, right? But then in 1 John chapter 2, this same John writes, do not love the world. So Jesus says, God loved the world. John says, don't love the world. Oh no, now who am I supposed to listen to? Relax, right? We can all relax. They're talking about two different things. God's not saying he loves this system that's hell-bent on causing destruction. He's saying, I love this world. I love this earth. I created it and all the people in it. I love it. But John's saying, hey, do not love the world. Do not love the things that, that are being offered by this system because it's temporary and it might cause harm down the road. It's opposite of what God has for us. So when Jesus says, I have come overcome the world, I think he's talking about both. Because this world, this time frame, this period is temporary. And we know through the resurrection that he's going to extend this thing on forever and ever and ever. So even though we may die and our bodies might go on the ground and our soul may be reunited with Jesus, one day there's going to be this great resurrection where our soul and our resurrected body are going to be put together and we will reign with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. He's overcome that. But guess what? He's also overcome this system. We've been freed by the blood of Jesus. We are alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can have eyes to see what's going on around us. So that we can follow Christ. And Jesus is saying, I have said these things to you because, listen, I want you to have peace. I want you to have harmony. I don't want you to be freaked out all the time. I want you to, to know this peace that, that our brother Paul wrote to the church of Philippi that surpasses all understanding. It can guard your heart. It can guard your mind. Jesus is saying, I want you to have peace. Just think about those three things. Jesus wants his disciples, and I believe he wants us. He wants us to have joy. Like, be happy. Be happy. I don't know why I said that. Somebody said that on a cartoon or something. Be happy. Oh, it's Happy Gilmore. I want you to be happy, happy, for those of you that are in my age frame. Be happy, be joyful, be glad. Have love for all people, not just those that treat you well. But those enemies, or those supposed enemies, we think are enemies, and have peace. As I was thinking about this today, I was like, where do I take all this, and what do we do with it, right? And I felt like a couple weeks ago, as I was just kind of reading through John 16 and thinking about this, I just, I really sense what, what Jesus is saying is, can you hear my heart for you? Can you hear the heart of Jesus for his disciples? Can we hear his heart for us? Like his heart, like what his passion is, what he really hopes for us, joy, love, peace. 
I was thinking about this a couple weeks. I forget what day it was. It was in the morning. I was kind of studying and reading and praying. And then that afternoon, Gretchen and I, my wife, we met with our friend Lynn, who's a college student at the University of Minnesota. She used to be a Normandale student. Before that, she used to live in Columbus, Ohio. So my daughter says she's your favorite college student, to which I reply, of course. She's from Ohio. Come on. So we were meeting with her, and she, we were talking about how we were coming home for Memorial Day. And she's like, said, what are you guys going to do? And I said, well, I, I might actually be speaking at the, at the church my, my family's a part of. She's like, what are you speaking about? And so we started to tell her, and I said, and I think maybe I'm going to land at this whole thing of like, can we just hear the heart of Jesus? I kid you not, I go home that afternoon, and I was reading a book with another college student called Gentle and Lowly. It's kind of like a book that everyone's reading, I guess. If uh, you haven't read it, you're severely, you know, you're out of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Typically, when people say they... Everyone's reading a book. I'm a Generation X kind of guy, so then I don't want to read it. I'm one of those people. But I was like, you know what? I got to read this book. So I just started reading a couple chapters each week with my friend Noah, and we talk, get together and talk about it. And that afternoon, after having that conversation about what I feel like God's placed on my heart, I go home. This is how the Spirit of God works, right? And I open up, and I start reading a chapter, and this is literally what it read. Let Jesus draw you in through the loveliness of his heart. It is a heart that throbs with desire for the destitute. It is a heart that floods the suffering with the deep solace of shared solidarity in that suffering. It is a heart that is gentle and lowly. So let the heart of Jesus be something that is not only gentle toward you, but lovely to you. If I may put it this way, romance the heart of Jesus. All I mean is ponder him through his heart. Allow yourself to be a Lord. Why not build into your life unhurried quiet, where among other disciplines you consider the radiance of who he actually is, what animates him, what his deepest delight is. Why not give your soul room to be re-enchanted with Christ time and again? When you look at the glorious older saints in your church, how do you think they got there? Sound doctrine? Yes. Resolute obedience? Without a doubt. Suffering without becoming cynical? For sure. But maybe another reason, maybe the deepest reason, is that they have, over time, been won over in their deepest affections to a gentle Savior. Perhaps they have simply tasted over many years the surprise of a Christ for whom their very sins draw him in rather than push him away. Maybe they have not only known that Jesus loved them, but felt it. I was thinking about this, and uh, you know, I kind of got a text from my dad three or four weeks ago and said, Hey, uh, would you be willing to speak at Covenant? And then I think he kind of confessed that I already told him you would. You know, so now I'm going to talk about him and he has, he can't say anything about it, right? He's not that fast. I get away from him if I have to, right? I was thinking about this thing about my dad. Some of you guys know him, Phil Miller. He's a crazy old man out there, hyped up on caffeine, trying to manage everything. And uh, I was thinking about, man, you think of some of these glorious older saints, Peace, joy, love, 
You know, my dad over the years, he's felt pressed, right? Squeezing. We lost our sister. I got three daughters. I was going to go with another guy, and then I chose my dad. Why did I do that? Can't back down now. I got I to keep pushing, right? But I can't imagine the squeezing you feel, right? Knowing there's nothing you can do. Through that and many other experiences, love, joy, peace. Not in some fake kind of way, not in some like ignoring what's happening kind of way, but in a miraculous spirit of God kind of way, right? I don't say these things to glorify my dad. I say these things to glorify the spirit of God that's inside of him. Maybe you're feeling pressed today, you know? Maybe you're feeling that, that squeezing, that that Jesus was describing that in this world, all through the chapter, you're going to experience tribulation. But I have said these things to you so that in the midst of them, you could have joy, gladness. You can be happy, love for all people because maybe the squeezing is somebody else that you're not too fond of right now. But you can have a love that is the transformational gospel kind of love for that person. And you can have a peace that resides deep within your soul because Christ has overcome the world. What I'd ask for you to do is, uh, I'm just gonna create a little space for you, you know, just a minute or two, which sometimes feels like 25 in your mind. But I'm just gonna ask you to maybe close your eyes And just say or ask or whatever you need to do with Jesus. And maybe it's like, Jesus, I want to hear, I really want to hear your heart because I'm having trouble believing, so help my unbelief. But I, I, I want to believe that you want joy and peace and love for me. And maybe you just want to say, I want that. Spirit of God, come into my life. I want to believe this morning. I'll let you just speak with God for a moment or two, and then we'll close. Spirit of God, please, we know that you speak. You, as Jesus described in this chapter, you're a helper, you're a comforter, you're the advocate of Jesus, so would you speak to us, and may we have ears to hear. We love you, amen. Mm-hmm.